Blog Talk Radio. You want to reply the point? Okay. Mr. Vavrinka wants to reply the point. 15 on. Good evening and welcome to Replay the Point. Today is April 25th, 2017. Pete Zebron of Tennis Acumen joined by Karen Health of Tennis View Magazine. Good evening, Karen. Hi, Pete. Yes, indeed. And um, where we are right now, Karen, it's April 25th. However, in Stuttgart, Germany, it is April 26th. And so that means that the 15-month ban on Maria Sharapova has expired She's been practicing off-site and, uh, in Stuttgart, and she will be on court tomorrow to play Roberta Vinci. And uh, obviously that's been – well, we've got plenty of news stories here in tennis, but that's is probably the one that is being most talked about and will be going forward for a while as well. Yeah, I think as we ended the show last time, you know, Stuttgart is going to be in the spotlight for all kinds of reasons tomorrow. Uh, tennis, as you said – I think at some level is going to benefit from the exposure. And I think whether you are happy to see her back or not, you know, she's back. Um, there are upsides to it. And as some players have spoken to, perhaps there are also some downsides. Uh, but it's moving forward. It's happening. So, you know, let's let's just see how this plays out. Um, you mentioned Roberta Vinci. And, and, yeah, she is Maria's first opponent. And I think as a lot of us, pretty famously know Roberta took out Serena at the U.S. Open. I think it was, what, 2015. Uh, So she's certainly a capable player to challenge Maria, and I think one that most players, not just Maria, are not used to playing her kind of style and the ability to really move you around the court, not let you develop your pace and play your game. So, you know, I, I think this is going to actually be a really interesting matchup besides the somewhat controversial, you know, nature of this match starting Maria's return. Oh, com- completely agree. And, you know, I, I cover – well, you've covered Cincinnati the last couple of years. I've been there the last seven or eight years. And, you know, that's a hard court. But even, even when the men and women come from Canada uh, the week before to play Cincinnati – it's it takes a little while, it takes a few days to get used to somewhat different conditions, different court speed. And Sharapova, in this case, uh, yeah, she's been on the shelf for a while. Sure, she's been training. She's even been hitting on clay in the same city where the tournament is. But she's just now being able to be allowed on the grounds. I think I saw that she's got a 9.15 a.m. practice tomorrow morning in, in Stuttgart on the grounds. First time she's been able to go at the site of the tournament than play. Your opinion, how difficult is it, uh, you know, looking at this first match? Um, we, we know players like to get in place as early as possible, and this is this is different altogether. I mean, this, uh, really, the curtain goes up and away she goes. Your your thoughts, uh, Karen, on, on that uh, adjustment that she's forced into? Well, you know, Maria's known this has been coming for a while, though, and she's known that she would be playing on clay. So I'm sure even if she's been in the United States, you know, she's been training to that purpose. Uh, that said, you know, there's nothing like 
competing to get you in top shape. So she hasn't had the benefit of that. She's played a couple of exhibitions, one, in fact, against Monica Puig down in Puerto Rico where she didn't fare so well. Now an exhibition, but still, you know, I I would think she would take that as an opportunity to still get some competing time, if you will. Um, So that said, and and I also believe as much as it, I'm sure, thrilling and, you know, got to be almost surreal and elating to her to step back on court again, there's also tremendous pressure. And then I'm not going to go through the list, but there's quite a few players who are expressing discontent with the decisions, with the wild cards, with the questionable date start and, and when her suspension ended. And then additionally, her fans are going crazy. You know, you go anywhere on social media, it's all over the place, and they're just, you know, screaming and lauding and applauding her return. But there's a huge amount of pressure and expectation that she's just going to go out there and get this title in, in her own fan base. And I've just got to imagine, even though it's Maria and we know she handles pressure well and she's kind of stoic, and, or at least traditionally has been, that's a lot. That's a lot of pressure um, to step back with all of those dynamics in play. Yeah, good call. And uh, we talked about she's going to open with Roberta Vinci. Should she win that match, Karen? Uh, the anticipated matchup potentially against Ag- Aga Redwanska will not happen. Makarova right, took out Redwanska today, two two and four, and so uh, that one won't happen. Sabolkova, who was in that little section, should uh, Sharapova win a couple rounds, uh, and Sabolkova won a match. They would have possibly matched up in the third round. Those were a couple of the names that were uh, really a, mm-hmm. not too happy with the wild card, but uh, remains to be seen. Still a very, very solid draw in Stuttgart. They're celebrating their 40th anniversary. Uh, really impressive 90-minute ceremony ahead of time, and uh, any Anything else, uh, Karen, that jumps out at you in this uh, wide-open draw in Stuttgart? Well, you know, you've you've got a number of former champions there, including Maria, but you've also got Kuznetsova, who's had an excellent march and has just had really a very consistent 2016 as well. So I think she's absolutely a threat. And let's face it, she grew up training on clay in Spain. This is her best surface, I would dare say. Uh, you know, and one that she enjoys. So I think that could become quite a battle should they both make it out that far. And then going back to Roberta briefly, you know, I don't know if you you caught any of her interview, but, you know, there's a little bit of an additional um, hit to this because with Maria getting a wild card into Rome, her friend and countryman, Francesca Schiavoni, will not get to compete in Rome at home. So whether or not, you know, she says, I've got nothing against Maria, but I think there's maybe a little bit more incentive um, to maybe send a message. So, That's a great call. We'll I, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm aware of, of that. I didn't really put two and two together like you just did, and that makes all the sense in the world. So uh, we'll see. That it, It's obviously mm-hmm. highly anticipated uh, Sharapova-Roberta Vinci match. And, and should Sharapova win all, all of her matches, uh, however many there might be in Stuttgart and, uh, and Rome for that matter. And so, Karen, we're going to switch gears a little bit. Um, United States and Belarus, both winners in the semifinals. The U.S. 
taking out the checks, and uh, they will have to travel to Minsk, Belarus in November. Yes. Here we are <laughs> wrapping up the uh, the semis in April, and we don't see the finals until November. But uh, congratulations to a U.S. squad uh, led uh, by Coco Vandeweghe, and uh, you were able to catch some of that action. And uh, what were some of your observations in the USA's triumph? Yeah, I mean, I mainly caught some glimpses of, of Coco's performance and then a few cuts of some of the others. But clearly Coco stood out as the leader and uh, obtained a new nickname this week called Hot Coco um, <laughs> from the, the commentators. You know, and she really just, uh, she did tremendous things with the crowd, getting the enthusiasm. Even when she finished her match, she was trying to pump up the crowd to support Shelby, uh, you know, and she was going for her serves, going for her spots. She again talked about the support of her coach and how important he has continued to be. So um, that, that continues to be a good relationship for her. And uh, she had the big swagger out there. I mean, she, you know, she had the hands going like you more so often see, you know, football players on the field trying to get the fans involved and, you know, I think for that kind of venue and format, she's a tremendous personality to have on the team. Um, but, of course, you know, you also have to give amazing accolades to Bethany Maddox Sands, who also, you know, always pulls off some great performances. And, uh, you know, she and Coco got to team up again. Yeah, I agree. And um, we're just going to go divert a little bit. Uh, great win for the for the Americans. Great win for the Belarusians. Uh, Saznovich played exceptionally well there, and uh, they most likely will have Victoria Azarenka on their squad in, in November. And uh, there were mm-hmm. other Fed Cup uh, matches going on this weekend, Karen, besides these. And uh, unfortunate scenario in Constanza, Romania, where uh, Simona Halep's hometown mm-hmm. and uh, – Seventy-year-old Ily Nastasi uh, really was way out of line on, on several instances, even before this tie happened mm-hmm. uh, earlier in the week. And and here we are uh, causing play to stop, and uh, really unfortunate for Kyoto Vong as well as Joe Conta and, and everyone really involved. And um, yeah, it's it's unfortunate that one individual is uh, is is really infamous in this capacity, taking away from uh, from a great event. Mm-hmm. I agree, and and to be honest with you, I don't want to give him any more airtime that he already doesn't deserve. So um, yep. that's all I have to say about that. There we go. And uh, right uh, there, we're going to talk about something uh, that uh, was announced uh, really uh, inadvertently. But uh, Serena Williams uh, is uh, is pregnant. Karen, and uh, as a result, she mm-hmm. will be out for uh, the rest of two, 2017. She's already uh, saying that she can't wait to have her youngster in the, in the players' box uh, in 2018. Really, you know, maybe uh, letting everybody know she is not uh, going to retire, at least not at, at this mm-hmm. moment. And uh, she's number one this week. Uh, she hasn't played a match since uh, Australia, and number one. And um, congratulations to Serena Williams, but. Uh, Obviously, uh, you know, with Sharapova being out for a year and uh, Serena now being out for almost a year, there, there's going to be a significant points redistribution in the WTA. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, this just throws another question mark into the mix. Or It's not a question mark at this one. It's definite. Uh, you know, it, it just makes this season, I think, one that is ripe for opportunity for so many other players. And, you know, I mentioned briefly with you, I I also have to wonder if, you know, maybe Vika pushing to come back sooner and possibly even Petra 
um, mm-hmm. knowing that there's a window open right now and it keeps opening even wider every time Kerber doesn't perform well. Um, you know, I hate to say it, but she's just not having a great year. Um, you know, they do the numbers and they realize, you know, if I can jump back in at a certain point, there's there's still something there for me. So uh, I think that alone is going to be interesting. But, you know, also even going back to briefly to Stuttgart, I mean, look at the mix that's in this tournament. you still got Kerber, Baroni, Mildenovic, Vesnina, Daria Katsakina, who won in Charleston her first title, Muguruza, of course, Sharpova, Vinci, Makarova, Halep, Kanta, Carolina Pliskova, Coco Randaway, Kuznetsova, Laura Sigmund, um, quite a lineup, you know. And when you look at even yes. that list of names with respect to the WTA rankings and who's performing well this year, that's quite a list right there. And I think almost all of those ladies have some serious potential for good results this year, uh, or a good year-end results, I should say. I couldn't agree more. And, and, you know, part of the reason that Serena Williams uh, returned to number one this week, uh, Karen, Angie Kerber, uh, you know, took over the number one ranking in the world earlier this uh, this year and uh, just is not having a a very good 2017 at all. Maybe we'll see if she can maybe turn it around uh, in in Germany in Stuttgart, but it, it, it's, uh, kind of hard to fathom. I mean, she's had some very solid results now for, for quite some time. And, uh, uh, you know, Olympic silver medalist to U.S. Open, uh, got that uh, done, uh, Wimbledon finalist. Just I'm really surprised at, uh, at why she's not able to put it together here. Uh, her record against uh, the, the top is, is not good. Not only is she not winning matches, Karen, she's not even winning sets, hardly. And uh, mm-hmm. any if you can pinpoint one or two things that uh, – maybe is not happening uh, for Kerber on court, what would those be? Well, I mean, for one, she's not serving well. Um, her her stats compared to the other players right now, I think I mentioned the only top ten stat she's in for the entire WTA is the most double faults. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, she just, I don't know, she doesn't seem to be moving as well to me. Again, maybe missing the stamina, maybe still some exhaustion left over and she's got such a game that, that demands performance by running things down. And, you know, I just don't know if that kind of game and maintaining a top, you know, a top number one ranking is a great combination. And then, you know, I thought in terms of motivation, it's one thing to have a goal to become number one, and push yourself and push yourself and drive to meet that goal. But then when you get to that top spot, then it's like, oh, gosh, i got to keep doing this just to stay here. And mm-hmm. how sustainable is that, really? You know, and, and I don't know if she's finding that to be a daunting task, along with the expectation, along with just the pressure and the responsibility that comes with being number one. That's a good call. And, so you know, I don't know I, that I, I can pinpoint any one thing. Go ahead. Parallel with that, as, as you put it uh, so succinctly there, with uh, you work your whole career to get there, it's almost 
almost in a way what Djokovic is experiencing. He finally mm-hmm. completed the career Grand Slam, and, and wow, I mean, uh, he's won just one of, of his last ten. We're going to talk about the ATP in a while, but there are some parallels there. And, hey, even Andy Murray at number one in the world on the ATP mm-hmm. side is not really doing well either. So uh, strange that, uh, you know, the top of the game, if you will, is, is struggling so much. But we're going to stick with the WTA for now, and you, we talked about a few things of a potential Roland Garros return for Petra Kvitova, uh, Victoria Azarenka, as mm-hmm. you mentioned. Now that Serena is is out for the rest of the year, perhaps these ladies uh, might push the fast forward button down a little bit more if if they are able to physically. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, your your thoughts on uh, on who we might see back and when. Uh, well, you know, I think Vic- Victoria already said U.S. Open. It was her target, and I thought I had heard um, Petra talk about possibly Roland Garros. So, I mean, that, you know, given the type of injury she had, that seems uh, optimistic. But, you know, who knows? Maybe she's healing up a lot faster, and I know she wasn't putting any weight on her hand for a while, you know, and obviously rehabbing. But she's been kind of quiet other than saying, you know, I'm working really hard to come back. So we know she's a very motivated person. We know she's quite a fighter. Um, tremendous amount amount of support for her on tour. I don't know if anyone saw um, maybe footage of it, but they had at Indian Wells right in front of the practice courts this gigantic poster of Petra, mm-hmm. basically a beautiful photo of her, basically saying, you know, come back next year. <laughs> Excuse me. It started off blank and ended up covered in signatures from well-wishers from everywhere. I saw several players um, taking photographs in front of the, the picture. So, you know, kind of unlike Maria's circumstance, she's got a lot of uh, peer support from the other ladies on the tour. So I'm sure that's yeah. that's helpful. No, absolutely. We wish all the ladies uh, coming back as soon as they are actually able to. And um, Karen, some uh, since we've done the last show, some titles to talk about. Uh, we talked Francesca Schiavone, 36 years old. Mm-hmm. Her, her last year she won Bogota, I believe. She also won that tournament uh, the year she won Roland Garros, so some good memories there. I think that was, I believe, mm-hmm. the 600th victory of her, her career. And also uh, Pavlyuchenkova with a, with a nice win and Kasakina. Any of those that you would like to, any or all that you would like to expound on? Uh, you know, I think all of them are worth it, but, you know, certainly Francesca. It's wonderful to see her. Um, you know, I saw her qualifying, you know, walking around Indian Wells, in the midst of the crowd, nobody following her around, no entourage, saddled with her bags, uh, out there on the court practicing with Cece Bellis, um, you know, taking the hard road to getting back into top mm-hmm. form and, um, you know, doing it, I, I think, with still a lot of motivation, a lot of guts and fight, which, you know, she's just known for and uh, probably will never forget her French Open win. Um so there's that. And then, you know, looking on the, the other spectrum, the youngster side, if you will, you know, we've got Daria who wins her first WTA final ever um, mm-hmm. down in uh, beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. So, you know, a great milestone marker for her. And she, along with the other Daria on the tour, um, <laughs> you know, they've both been having some, some nice results over the last year. You know, maybe not the level of consistency to – you know, have superior ranking, but certainly showing 
um, they can pull it out from time to time. So I think developing consistency is just a matter of time and, and probably learning more about managing your game, managing your schedule, your energy, your preparation, and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, she seemed thrilled. She, well, as of course she would be. Um, and, you know, very much soaking in that win, and I think it's going to give her some, some good confidence going forward. Yeah, nice. And um, before we flip the switch over to the ATP, anything else uh, WTA-related that uh, you would like to mention, Karen? Uh, well, you know, the last thing we, we, we started on Maria, maybe end on Maria, uh, the French Open has now come out and said they will offer her a spot in the qualifying. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, for a lot of people, maybe maybe a good compromise on, you know, all sides of the argument there. You know, she's not not in the the event. She's going to be there. Her presence will be there. Her spotlight on tennis and sport and, you know, all of those things will still still be there for as long as she's able to win. So the onus is kind of on her to keep that going. And, um, you know, I think it's an interesting decision and possibly the right one. But, you know, we won't debate that because there's, there's way too many opinions out there. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, and it's funny because all the the entire debate was will she get a wild card into Roland Garros? Nobody nobody ever specified what kind of wild card, Karen. And so uh mm-hmm. this one uh yeah, uh it is a wild card and uh obviously probably not the one she wanted, but she does have access into that event now and uh uh you know, we we've seen very good things from from qualifiers. She she's going to get good mm-hmm. match play under her belt uh there uh, assuming she's able to be victorious in these quality matches and so uh really heading into the main draw if she gets that far with a head of steam uh, uh on the red clay of Roland Garros and so sticking with the red clay you know, Karen um and a little further south one of last Paris. quick point yes one last quick point you know Vinci's point about Maria too was very much what you said look she's going to play three or four events and garner a bunch of points and her ranking is going to warrant her admission into wherever she wants to go at that point so, you know, why not let her build up her points the right way? So, um, you know, it's just kind of interesting how the French Open went with this one. Yeah, absolutely. I, I had thought that there was a May 15th uh, decision on that, but obviously that was sped up a little bit. And so, uh, mm-hmm. anyway, that's usually how things happen. But um, we're going to shift gears now, Karen, the ATP. And, uh, you know, Rafael Nadal, I, I felt that he was going to have a very good clay court season. Uh, so far, so good. Uh, he, he's a he's a guy who obviously one, he needs match play, uh, a lot of match play to feel good about himself. He's had plenty of match play on the hard courts uh, in uh, in Australia and the United States in in 2017, and you know just took took care of business really in, in Monte Carlo. Probably the strangest. Scoreline. Uh, he, he beat Kyle Edmund, the Brit, in three six mm-hmm. love. The second set five seven. That was, uh, in, yeah. in my opinion, the upset of the tournament. But uh, he got through it and um, took out uh, countryman Ramos Vanellis and uh, Rafael mm-hmm. Nadal, ten times Monte Carlo champion. Yep. Yeah. You know, uh, as we said, we we expected good performance from him. I think just the question mark with him moving forward through clay is. Can he maintain the health so that he arrives in Roland Garros in top form? So, you know, but I'm sure he's considering all those things. He talked a little bit about maybe a little concern about 
the chronic knee injury more so than the wrist. So at least, you know, that's a good sign that he's saying the wrist is really behind him. And the knees are probably just something that he's been managing his whole career. So, um, you know, I'm sure he and his team are, are doing everything they can with that. Um, given his performance and current ranking, now he's back at number five. So surely it looks promising that he will be at least in the top four by the time we do hit Roland Garros. And he doesn't have a tremendous amount of points to defend there because unfortunately he was out early with injury last year. So uh, some interesting times, you know, he, he brought up the uh, six zero, you know, seven, five uh, set and, or five, seven set. And, you know, I hadn't even tuned into that match and I, looked down and saw the score and <laughs> said, what, you know, what's going on right. here? And then, uh, and then up tuning in. So, you know, one thing I thought about is, you know, sometimes players come out, they're overwhelmed by the occasion. Um, maybe they're not quite awake and ready to play or, you know, not, not quite a mental place where their body's, you know, ready to go. And then I've also got to imagine nobody likes a bagel, right? So when you lose yep. six zero, that just might light a fire under you a little bit to say, you know what? I'm going to go down swinging because I'm not okay with that. And so I think there are you know a number of dynamics in effect there. And I think in a way it was the perfect time for Rafa to be challenged because he needed, I think, to be challenged and to kind of have to step himself up into that next gear of play that we see him do so often. And it, it gave him that opportunity to have to put his foot on the gas and, you know, go to that next level where he was going to be out and miss out on that opportunity for number 10. So he overcame it, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, a player who really has, has uh, earned his living on clay. I mean, so much so he's seated in, uh, in majors right now, uh, Karen and, um uh, uh, really hasn't had until this year. Really hasn't had too much success in the hard courts. But uh, a nice run in Monte Carlo for Pablo Cuevas. This is someone that uh, you had uh, when we were putting our outlines together a couple shows ago. Uh, you saw him, I believe, at Indian Wells, and you you were pretty impressed with uh, with Pablo Cuevas. Again, this is a clay court player specialist, if you will, doing some good things on the hard court. What jumped out at you uh, with what you were able to see from uh, Cuevas in Indian Wells? Because he, he put himself, uh, you know, he, he played exceptionally well here uh, at uh, in Monte Carlo and, uh, yeah, just kind of ran out of gas at the very end. But uh, mm-hmm. I know you, you were able to check him out a little bit at Indian Wells. Yeah, and in Monte Carlo, he, he, running out of gas probably makes sense. He was in both singles and doubles, too. Yeah. And, progressing he was uh, i think in the semis for both um so you know that says a lot um as yeah as far as indian wells he was playing the other pablo pablo carina busta and that was a match on the main stadium and it was in the heat of the day i believe it went to three sets but i'm not the best on remembering all the stats but all I really, the main words that come to mind with that one, that match was a dogfight. I mean, they they went to the mat. I mean, it was some series of up and down of level. And, you know, nobody was assured of any outcome at any point. It was one of those matches where it just could have gone either way. And, you know, you even saw him doing things like Montes would do 
diving to hit a shot, in which he did, and then he came up with, you know, bloody arm and his fingers were torn up. Uh, so just kind of the effort of I don't care, I'm not, I'm not backing down, and really that was for both of them, and in fact, Karina Boost ended up winning that match. But, boy, it, it really could have gone either way. And so it was just really the tremendous effort they both put in. There's a lot of heart out there, a lot of hustle. Um, you know, some amazing points that went on for a long time. And, you know, just kind of um, – I, I don't know. You just don't always see that kind of effort in terms of even going for things that you just think there's no point in going for that shot, <laughs> you know. That point's over, and, and they're running it down and diving or, you know, doing whatever they need to do to try to get to it anyway. So um, those are those are kind of my memories of that match, and uh, it was definitely one that was enjoyable. Oh, absolutely. Uh, nothing nothing like two guys or girls giving their all on the court like that, and uh, that's that's outstanding. You had a chance to see that. And um, David Goffin finds himself back in the top ten, Karen. Um, you know, he, mm-hmm. this, he made his third uh, Masters 1000 semifinal uh, last year, both uh, in Wells, Miami. This year now, Monte Carlo, uh, very nice result, uh, was, was really battling Rafael Nadal. And um, uh, it was a game point uh, midway through the first set, and uh, – uh, clearly out on replays, and Cedric yep. Morier uh, uh, blew the call, I guess we could say, and uh, that uh, discussion uh, went on for a while from GoFan, and uh, uh, Morier refused to budge, and uh, they, they did replay the point. It wasn't uh, Nadal's point, but that one, you, I think everybody who knows tennis could just kind of feel that, uh-oh, if he doesn't win this game, um even if he does, because they played a number, it was it was going to do a number on him, and sure enough, it did. And uh, not really mm-hmm. beleaguering that point or the blown call by the umpire, but um, obviously clay court tennis. Uh, we don't have Hawkeye, and uh, you know there are marks all over the place uh, with uh, mm-hmm. with guys and girls hitting balls. Is it a two part question? Is it time for Hawkeye on clay? And and my other favorite question here is. If Larry Ellison owned a clay court Masters 1000, would we have Hawkeye in all the courts? <laughs> so, uh, your thoughts uh, on is it time? <laughs> is it time for for Hawkeye on the clay? You know, there's a lot of traditional thinking around clay, but I guess you know, my heart broke for Gofan. Now, I don't believe the ultimate outcome of the match would have changed mm-hmm. because he was having to fight so long and play so many service points just to hold serve at that point. But regardless, you know, especially when you you look at players who are kind of cracking the level in ranking that he is right now, these guys play all their lives for these moments. And these opportunities don't often come for everyone. So when you get them, it isn't just a point to me. Um, it, It was a very significant marker and an opportunity and circumstance that crushed him you know and I thought about it across the board you know it was obviously bad for him it was bad for Rafa he was getting booed and there was really nothing that he did wrong I mean I'm pretty certain if he was really sure he would have said something because he generally does Um, the fans were upset Mm -hmm. I mean fans left it was still a great match but you, you and I know a fan leaves a tournament with a bad taste in their mouth. Yeah. Maybe it's not the tournament's fault, but that's your last impression of what you experienced that day. 
Right, right. And then you add on those of us like me that were up at 7 o'clock in the morning on the weekend watching a tennis match, totally into it, watching something amazing because it was, and GoFan mm-hmm. was playing excellent tennis, and then it goes over the edge. So the viewing audience loses, the sponsors even lose because some people may have even turned it off at a certain point and said, well, you know, this is over. If he didn't win this game, then, you know. So I I don't know. I just think it was tremendous shame, and especially, I mean, for anyone, but I just, especially I look at someone like Gauvin, who I sort of equate a similar story to, like, the Ferrer story. He doesn't have the height of the other players. He doesn't necessarily, now in Ferrer's case, not the case, doesn't necessarily have the physique to be this massively powerful player, yet he gets a lot of power out of his game. And so he's already kind of competing against some tough odds, let's put it that way. You know, and then he's putting his heart out there. He's playing the best, you know, clay player of his decade at least and and probably the player that he grew up knowing as, you know, the best on clay with this tremendous opportunity in his hands and he was handling it wonderfully, and it's just a disaster, I think, any way yep. you look at it. Does that dictate do we need Hawkeye? I put a little survey out on some of my social media. It was a prevailing yes. Um, if I got to choose, I think I would say yes. Why not? Um, mm-hmm. When you have an opportunity to avoid these kinds of mistakes that are, you know, dictating significant outcomes and – let's face it, too, potentially a big money payoff for these players who have maybe never gotten that kind of check before, Um, it kind of matters. You know, it's not just a point in a, you know, a a court at the the local courts here. This is a business. This is what these players do for a living. This is their livelihood. And we all know that tennis is – it's a difficult sport when you have to fund the travel, the training, the coaching, the physios, the maintenance, and all of that stuff. Not everyone is making a phenomenal salary. And, right. you know, there's, we won't go into per- discussions about equal prize money and, you know, things like that. But, you know, we see the top players in all their glory and they get the limelight and we know they're making tons of money. But you look a few rows below and that's not the case. So, you know, I just, Really, I was very unhappy with the whole outcome, even though Rafa won. And, you know, I'm a fan, but, uh, you know, boy, I just felt unfair. Now, flipping to Larry Ellison, well, let's see. (laughs) He's the founder of Oracle. (laughs) He's a fan of technology. He likes to make sure that the players are happy and have everything they need. So given those elements, I'd say, yeah, he'd probably look into installing Hawkeye or – you know, doing a TV replay or something like that. And that's kind of what kills me is, you know, I'm sitting at home watching the TV replay. So surely we have the technology to let Mm -hmm. somebody maybe off the court, you know, sitting in a box below the chair, do a quick review and give them a thumbs up, thumbs down. I mean, how long would that take really? Um, So that's my 25 cents. I think I'm going on. Oh, no, I like it. I like it a lot. And, uh, you know, GoFan, you mentioned uh, a great tournament played, playing Rafa toe to toe. But uh, one of the, going mm-hmm. back a little bit, uh, David GoFan took out 
Novak Djokovic, a two-time uh, winner in mm-hmm. Monte Carlo, and uh, credits Gofan. I think Djokovic saved either three or four match points uh, in a very long game. Gofan stayed the course, got the job done. Uh, huge win for him. Obviously, uh, Djokovic mm-hmm. uh, is, is having issues right now. Obviously, he knows how to play on clay. One, one Roland Garros has won this uh, very successful in Rome as well. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just kind of hard to fathom right now about Novak Djokovic. Mm-hmm. We talked a little bit about him in discussing Kerber, uh, Kerber getting to world number one. Djokovic has, has been playing lights out tennis for four and a half, five years, but uh, finally mm-hmm. was able to get the, one of the last missing pieces of his mantle together in getting Roland Garros, and then obviously that lost query at Wimbledon. Uh, he did come back and win Canada, but then uh, you know before that the dis- uh, the disappointing loss at the Olympics, playing Delpo out of the gate. But it just is a U.S. Open final as well. But these are not Djokovic's standards. He- he's looking to win all this mm-hmm. stuff. And uh, you're uh, and any any idea on what is not clicking or what things are not clicking in his in his tennis game at this point? It's it's. I, I see his forehands, uh, you know, are, are a little bit wild in, in terms of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, these 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 forehands that he just laces for winners usually are, are, are going out by by some margin. That's in my observation. It's the forehand. But are you seeing anything different uh, that, uh, you know, we've come to expect from him that just isn't clicking? Um, you know, I see that certainly he's got a lot more unforced errors than we would normally see from him. Um, I, understandably, I think he's displaying more frustration out there than we would normally see. And then again, with the movement with him, you know, mm-hmm. he's just this amazing mover that, you know, I've used it and others have the moniker, you know, Gumby-like. He can stretch mm-hmm. and, and get to anything. But seeing a little bit more of that where he's he's stumbling, he's losing his balance, he's tripping up, um, you know, and he did have a little bit of an injury, so I don't really know yeah. exactly. I mean, that, that was also an elbow, I think. Um, so there may be a number of dynamics there. And then, you know, somebody had asked me about the top players in general and even, like, you know, people, well, why isn't Federer, you know, continuing to play? Well, you know what? When you get to be 30 years old, you mm-hmm. won everything. You have all the money you could ever want you've, you know, risen to the top of your sport and now you have a family, you have this additional part of your life. I think in maturing as a person, you come to realize that, okay, you know, with just me and just driving towards tennis, that's one thing. But when it's me and I have these other dynamics in my life and I've kind of taken the selfish road and put everything into tennis for you know, 10 years, 15 years, whatever it is, I think it's just more of a maturing of the person, too, to realize that there is more to life than tennis. It's been a wonderful thing. I love the sport. Not saying they're checking out, but, you know, I think there's a little more struggle of a balance, and I might have mentioned it uh, last time in in press at uh, the BNP Paramount Open. Federer remarked, hey, I missed my son's birthday to go to Madrid and lose. What a waste that was, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, it's just a hunch for me. And and how could you fault them for saying, you know, I, I got to balance this. And Novak has made statements that, you know, 
tennis isn't going to be the only thing in my life. Right. So I think there's a little bit of that in play too. And, and maybe feeling his way to, you know, where is that right blend, you know, where I want to have time for my kid, time for my wife, time for the sport I love, time for my fans. And, you know, he's got a nonprofit organization that his wife also helps to manage. So there's a lot going on with these guys, uh, and, you know, just demands from multiple places. No, oh, completely agree, and, and, and well put. And uh, we'll see what uh, the remainder of the clay court season uh, will have in store for Novak Djokovic. And, Karen, we go from uh, 1,000 in Monte Carlo to a 500 in Barcelona. Um, a lot of, you know, obviously Rafa has done exceptionally well there. He is in uh, He's in the draw. Nishikori, unfortunately, uh, out yet again. If it just seems that uh, he's not in tournaments, he's injured. If he's playing, the trainer's coming out. Uh, not not good. Um, in addition to Rafa being there and Kei Nishikori not being there, someone else who is not there, Karen, uh, Americans, uh, zero Americans. In mm-hmm. fact, Ryan Harrison was the only American man playing in Monte Carlo. Uh, these are big tournaments. So these are uh, lead-ins to... Uh, Obviously, Roland Garros. It's. It's. I'm a little disappointed to see that, but uh, I just want to put the put the spotlight back on Rafa. We talked about Fed getting older, Djokovic getting older. Obviously, Rafa's getting older, and um, mm-hmm. this is just one tournament that I I question. I get it. He's he's Spanish. It's in Spain. Uh, wants to play there. Insists on playing there. Does play there. Uh, Rafa now obviously is a year older than than last year. Um, really did exceptionally well at Monte Carlo. Is on fire right now. But your opinion? Uh, you follow Rafa very closely. Is is it a good good idea for him to be playing Barcelona this week? Well, there's a lot of aspects to look at. You know, like you said, he he's hit a peak performance. Obviously, playing very well. We talked about his formula being play a lot of events, win a lot of matches, build that confidence. So as long as he can manage the blend of getting out there with match play and, you know, maybe uh, a doubtful, but maybe backing off a little bit on practice, realizing he's getting enough match play. Um, He did say at the beginning of Monte Carlo that he started very slow. I think he said, the first day he only went out and hit for a half an hour, which is, you know, like a, uh, an air break for him, you know, (laughs) used to seeing him out hitting for a couple of hours. So maybe here is looking at that Um, at the same time when he almost lost that match, we talked about earlier, uh, he went out and apparently practiced for another hour or so immediately after the match, knowing Mm -hmm. that, he did not want to perform that same way the next day. So um, it's a tough call. And, you know, I have confidence that he and his team are, are looking at all of those factors, looking at the recovery. Uh, the nice thing about Monte Carlo to Barcelona, it is easy travel, uh, easy for his family to be there. And, you know, now he's got the added pressure as well that they've named the main stadium after him. Right. So, it's kind of hard to not show up the year that that happens. Uh, so that, you know, could be another factor. And really Barcelona is the tournament that is closest to his home in Mallorca mm-hmm. uh, because, sure. you know, it's a, it's a short boat right away. Um, 
So, you know, uh, it, there's a tremendous draw of Spanish players, French players, obviously. Unfortunately, David Ferrer was back in the draw, but he's already lost to Kevin Anderson. I yeah. um, was kind of hoping to see him lighting a fire again. Uh, but I'm going to have to take a look at that match and see what happened. It was straight set, 6-3, six, 6-4. We do also see that Alexander Zverev has a possibility again of coming up against Rafa. Uh, he had a nice win today over Almagro, Almagro, excuse me, uh, three sets, so not an easy road. And, and Rafa kind of, as some said, gave him not the nicest birthday present in Monte Carlo. Yes. But I think this kid is one that learns his lessons quickly and, you know, It'll probably be a birthday he'll never forget, but I think it's going to be a match he will remember. And if he, you know, I always try to remind people that losses are your greatest opportunity for growth. Mm -hmm. And if you're willing to step back and take a look at maybe some of the things you did right, but where were the opportunities that were missed, then you can, you can make a win out of a loss, if you will. Um, So it'll be interesting to see, how he continues to do on the surface. Um, obviously, Monte Carlo was not the outcome he was looking for in a, in a pretty disappointing day. And, you know, and I have to say, I, I was uh, uh, once again kind of impressed with Rafa because, you know, he saw um, Zverev's response, obviously, to, to such a loss. I'm sure he came out with at least higher hopes of a better, you know, scoreline. Mm-hmm. Uh, came up to the net, kind of gave him, you know, the the hug, but very subdued celebration, yep. no jumping up in the air, no fist pumps, just kind of hands in the air, walked out on the court. He did the same with Goffin, I think really a show of respect for both players. And, yep. you know, he had a lot of really positive things to say, especially also about Goffin, their friendship, um, you know, that, yeah, he he probably believes that David was – right but he didn't see the mark himself so you know you can't you can't blame him for not calling that so um we'll see how barcelona plays out let's see how andy murray can can move forward he uh he has bernie tomic coming up next so that could be interesting because bernie you know he has kind of that roller coaster ability to play (laughs) some exceptional tennis or not really show up so um, we'll see who, who Andy gets to play on that day. Yeah, good call. And uh, we're coming up in about 45 minutes, Karen. Uh, obviously covered a lot uh, since our last show. But uh, before we wrap up, anything else that uh, you'd like to point out? Uh, just briefly on the women's side, I know, you know, some folks are looking at Fliskova saying how come, you know, she hasn't won the big titles. But, you know, I think, She's still showing tremendous consistency and still has some amazing potential. Um, you know, does she have, you know, a, a growth area maybe to get to that next level? Uh, you know, probably. And I have no doubt that she's working on it. But even as you look at the stats for the year-end finals on the road to Singapore, she's still the leader in the number one spot. So that speaks to a consistent level of play throughout 2017 thus far. 
No, it's a good point. Good, good, good point that I think a lot of people miss. So we're, we're looking at uh, different things instead of uh, the, you know, as as we've talked about, a lot of inconsistency by a lot of big names, and there she is uh, holding it all together. Mm-hmm. So I agree with that. And okay. so on behalf of Karen Health, this is Pete Zebron saying good night. We will catch you next time on Replay the Point. Good night. Mm-hmm.